back in the fur shed for episode 47 of the Trapping Today podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood with TrappingToday.com. And if you can hear a little bit of crackling in the background, that is the first one of the first fires of the season in the fur shed. So we're getting a little later in the season and things are getting colder. Two weeks away from trapping season. Time to get things ready uh, up here. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. That's Kyle and Kellen Cots. They get a trapping supply business, the full line of supplies that you need to get going for the season. They've got lures, traps, all kinds of tools and equipment uh, to get you started. Great group of guys, great couple of brothers there that run the place, and they're more than willing to answer questions, help you out with what you need, and get you started. So go to cotsbros.com and uh, let them know I sent you. Thanks again, guys, for supporting the show, the podcast. So you might notice that I am recording just a little bit late. Uh, Usually you get a podcast episode by Sunday, and today's Monday night. And there's a reason for that. I was stuck in the woods. So I try to be consistent, but you can't do much when you're three hours away from home. No cell service. No uh, no internet, obviously. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, we were working on a project, moving some fish from one lake to another, and we had to catch a bunch of fish uh, as they were moving into shallow water to spawn and transfer them, get them all <clears throat> ready to be flown in a plane and transferred into another body of water. Well, it took a while, but we got all the fish, and then on Sunday morning, as the the pilot was coming in to pick up loads of fish, he circled a few times, called us on the radio, said, uh, nope, too windy, this is not going to work. So we were stuck at camp uh, in the middle of the woods with uh, not much food left and had to wait another 24 hours uh, for the weather to calm down for him to come back. Made it out. Uh, today we got the fish flown uh, around noontime and all was good so back out of the woods just trying to catch up on things and thought I'd sit down and record a podcast episode to get caught up with that alright a few other things uh, Jim thank you for the comment on last week's podcast uh, about trapping like a kid the whole mentality and idea behind you know, being enthusiastic and learning new things. Uh, I know Jim is an older trapper, and and he's still thinking that way. So it's great to hear that. Uh, two Chris's that I heard from this week. Uh, one Chris is in my area, and he just bought a bottle of lure. So Chris, if you're listening, thank you very much. I'm getting that ready just after I'm done recording here. I'm gonna send that out to you. Chris is only about an hour away from me, and he's a great young trapper. He's very enthusiastic, real helpful, shares a lot of his stuff. Uh, you may see him on, on uh, Trapper Man once in a while posting some pictures. So it's awesome. Uh, it's awesome when I get guys nearby uh, using this lure. Um, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to see how it works on, on your line, Chris. The other Chris had a question, Chris from North Carolina, about trapping beavers he he's uh, gearing up got some permission 
to go out and target a few beaver colonies and let me pull up the question here looks like uh, wonder when water levels go way up from flash flooding due to heavy rain which I know those guys have gotten quite a bit lately uh, does that affect beaver much uh, will they fortify their existing dam and stay put or they move to a new area so just some brief thoughts that I have on that Chris and thanks very much for sending that question that's an excellent question uh, in my experience with flooding <clears throat> beavers will not uh, pick up and, and leave an area and try to go find a new home. Typically what they're going to do is respond to the flooding by just rebuilding their dam if the dam gets washed out. Uh, as water drops, they're, they're building things back up, getting it all patched up and continue on. Uh, and you, you will notice this also when <clears throat> artificially when, when animal damage control guys come in and they pull dams. Uh, you know, similar to flooding during high water, uh, it, when the dam is, is kind of broken, uh, whether that's at one small point or a very large, a shallow break, you know, a very large area, uh, beavers will get right to work immediately and start repairing that dam. Uh, I, I have not experienced a case where flooding caused a beaver to move on to the next county or look for another place. And that that might happen in other areas, I doubt it. Um, but I know it doesn't happen here because our our beavers are just so uh, abundant in this area, and that they tend to <clears throat> the areas are so heavily populated beavers that if beavers just decided to pack up and move to a new area, they're going to be in in other beavers' territory, and we have lots of territoriality here. We notice like anything caster. The beavers just go nuts. They will absolutely defend their their areas, their home ranges, and they are seeking out any other beaver that's trying to to come around. and And they will absolutely <clears throat> do whatever they need to do to to defend those and, and fight to the death if they have to. So they're uh, in most areas. Beavers have pretty high fidelity to one area. And the other, the but the other thing I will mention is that what I've noticed during high water, they may stay in the same general area, but you're going to notice the beavers are going to broaden the range of of area around their house and dam where they actually get up on land and feed, because as the water floods, there's a much greater area that's being covered by water and those beavers are going to have access to much more of the land base within while having still having the safety of being on or near the water so what i'm trying to say is uh, if a stream doubles its width the beaver is going to take advantage of that huge area of water and move further out into the woods uh, or into a field on the edge of the woods uh, and feed they'll <clears throat> what I've I've seen in the springtime here when we get really high water and the river just what's normally a river turns into a big lake with huge huge backwater wetland areas are completely flooded the beavers will go all the way out to the edge of that water and they'll make caster mound caster mounds um, all along the edges of that and they'll make their trails and go up and feed in the woods on high places that they normally wouldn't 
wouldn't dare to go uh, high into. Um, as the water moves out, they they move uh, move further out as well. And you can expect as the water recedes and drops, those beavers are going to kind of gravitate back uh, towards their their original uh, area that they occupied. So I hope that helps, Chris. If anybody has experience otherwise, uh, feel free to drop me a line. Uh, or if you have questions similar to that or any questions you have that uh, I can try to answer or find someone who can answer, my email address is jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. So thanks again for that, Chris. All right. Now, the main topic tonight, I want to talk about fur sheds. A while back, um, a new listener to the podcast was uh, asking about um, maybe some thoughts that I might have on what what would be the ideal fur shed design or ideal type of fur shed or what would you like to see in the ideal fur shed. And it got me thinking a little bit, and I never did get a chance to get back to it and talk about it here. So I wanted to just uh, ramble on for a little while on thoughts on that. And really, you got to think a little bit about what what a fur shed is, and compare you know thoughts on a fur shed versus a trapping shed uh, versus just a shed in general. So for starters, some of you guys are not going to need a special specific shed area that you use only for trapping. If you don't have a lot of stuff and you've got a lot of storage space, maybe you have a garage, a attached garage to the house, maybe you have a nice big garage that you work on vehicles in or whatever, maybe you've got a shed out back that's just kind of like a, a garden tool shed or whatever. All of those things can work. Of course, you're going to run into a few issues. One is if you're concerned about scent control, you know, if you have gas and oil and all that stuff in a shed or a garage, maybe you don't want to have a lot of your trapping supplies in there as well, in your dirt and so on. If you uh, <clears throat> if you want to go, if you if you want to have a separate area. Maybe you can't afford to build this really big building or expensive building or anything fancy. My first, what I would call trapping shed or fur shed, was an old fishing cabin. So a lot of guys uh, out this way in Maine and uh, other northern states like Minnesota, Wisconsin, we do a lot of ice fishing and we have shacks that we put out on the lake to go ice fishing to be sheltered from the snow and wind and cold and a lot of times those shacks sit on land for a few years and don't get used much and I had one lying around they're not they're usually not huge because you got to be able to move them on and off the lake uh, usually about eight feet by eight feet is a pretty big one and I use an old shack that I think was seven by eight and that was my skinning area and place where I stored a lot of my supplies for a very long time. And it worked very well. Uh, when I was just getting started trapping, I didn't have a lot of stuff. And I didn't really have a choice in a lot of other places. I didn't have a building that big. And even if I did have a building really big, I wouldn't have the means to heat that building. So that works. 
But at some point, if you have a lot of stuff, if you're really into trapping, and you want to take it a little more seriously, and you want to dedicate an area to your trapping stuff, it's probably a good idea to think about building a fur shed or a trapping shed. Now, getting into the difference between what is a fur shed versus a trapping shed. I've always, for a long time, I've just called them trapping sheds. Uh, that's my wife, when I, when I say I'm going out to the trapping shed. Uh, that's just a shed that is all things trapping. When you walk in there, uh, it is not only an area where I handle fur, but it's also an area where I store my traps, I make lures, I have all kinds of stuff going on at the same time. And it's for me, that seems to work pretty well. Sometimes with certain traps, I will not store them in the shed. I won't put my dirt here, obviously, uh, for scent reasons. But for the most part, that that's kind of the way I operate. I call it the fur shed on the podcast, uh, and to some people I talk about talk about fur shed, and other people I'll call it the trapping shed. Uh, but it's just one building that serves both purposes. Uh, now, some people who really put up a lot of fur like to have an area dedicated to just fur handling. That would be uh, the classic fur shed. That is, you know, my trapping, I do, I use my trapping supplies and traps and everything. That all is in one area, but this shed is just fur handling. So you can decide, you know, what direction you want to go with that and, and what you think is best. There are uh, pros and cons of each, but really, I mean, there there's a couple of ways to think of this. One is what's practical, and one is... Uh, in a perfect world with no limits, what would you do? If you could make a a real shed that was absolutely everything that you needed in a cost, money was no object, how would you make it? So I got to thinking about that a little bit because I did build, uh, after my shed burned down, my fur shed burned down last fall on Thanksgiving Day, I rebuilt uh, we rebuilt it with a replacement shed that was quite a bit bigger and a lot more expensive to build. So my original shed was 8 by 12 feet. So it was, it was 8 feet wide, 12 feet long, had a door in the center on the one of the ends, and it was uh, about 7, the, the rafters I believe were, no they were 8 feet tall. And I found immediately after I built that that it was way too small. It was absolutely way too small to skin fur and have traps and do all that stuff in one place. And that might be part of the reason why I had issues with the fire. Everything was kind of crowded and I had the wood stove tucked in the back. And it just was not a good situation. So I rebuilt and I kept the 8 foot width. That just seemed to make it a lot easier for one person. Uh, I built this thing alone. Uh, so the the 8 foot width seemed to work pretty good for that. I, I'm, I know I could have made it wider, but I just want to be simple and quick. So I did the 8 foot width, but I doubled the length. So my shed is 8 feet wide by 24 feet long. And when you first uh, do build that and you got nothing in it, it uh, of course looks like, oh, this is going to be adequate. You know, it's still, it is, it is plenty of room. However, 
I do notice that I need to keep up with cleaning and tidying things up and keeping everything organized because if I don't, it can still fill up pretty fast. But it's not nearly as bad as the other one was. So I've got 8x24 and as you walk in on one end, you've got it's basically just like a real narrow long building. Um, the ceiling on it is uh, 8 feet high again and it's just a, a flat finished sort of ceiling, plywood ceiling. The stove is all the way in the back on the on the back end. I, I like that because uh, it gives the stove kind of its own space. I don't I can have the stove and some firewood and stuff and I don't have to worry about crowding a bunch of stuff next to the wood stove. Uh, that would be a fire hazard. <clears throat> and then as you kind of move back from the stove towards the door, on on one side, one side is two big shelves, shelving units, like steel shelving units that I picked up at an auction, and one long workbench. And I'll try to describe this to you. Um, <clears throat> that's one side. The other side is kind of a completely open, when it's cleaned up, it's a completely open floor with nothing against the walls. And so the way it is, it's a very long, narrow building. So when if you were to put things on both sides, you would have uh, a cr serious crowding issue. You'd only have like a really narrow walkway in the center to be able to get through to, to get around, get to all your stuff. So I wanted to avoid that. So I decided one side would be, you know, the area where there was stuff against the walls, shelves, and benches and so on and the other side would be kept so that anything that was there was kind of mobile and could be moved around and that's worked pretty well um, as you walk in on the left on that wall that has stuff up against it that first set of shelving is all lure lures and lure making stuff so I've got my empty lure bottles my uh, all the commercial different commercial lures that I've purchased lure making ingredients uh, lures that I've made myself, lures and baits, I've got jars, uh, getting further down I've got shelf with uh, glycerin and urine and fish oil and all that different stuff for specifically lure making. Then after that I have a workbench that's probably I don't know about 10, 10 feet, 12 feet long and it comes out about two feet from the wall and it uh, has a bench top that's like three-quarter inch plywood so it's pretty rugged on that bench top it, there's a vise on the very end right next to the vise I have a bench swagger or swager swaging tool that is to uh, crimp down on all my uh, crimp down on on ferrules and stops in order to make snares that's that's kind of the snare making station and then after that is kind of a just a empty uh, bench top that is filled with various things based on the projects that I'm working on. Uh, doing the podcast here, I've got the laptop on one end of that empty space, and then I've got some books and and trap magazines and regulations and and a bunch of notes and stuff uh, here. Now below that, I got a second shelf, and that second shelf is a combination. Uh, the side next to the computer 
where I do the podcast, I have a bunch of trapping magazines and trapping books and stuff that I've been working on going through. And then on the other side, underneath the the vice and the swaging tool, I have some of my uh, lure making and bait making supplies. So I have a grinder, a food processor, and a hot plate. And then I have various miscellaneous like screws and nails and stuff. Um, I've also I got a vacuum sealer that I use to seal up uh, bottles of lure before I ship them so they don't stink too bad at the post office. And then at the very bottom of this uh, shelf, this workbench area, uh, on the along the floor, I that's where I've been storing my conibear traps. So I have a bunch of traps there. I have I don't know like eight or uh, seven or eight dozen one tens, one twenties. Uh, 160s, 220s, and a few 330s. <clears throat> so that seems to work pretty well. Now, going on the other side, what I've kind of done is partitioned off uh, lure making, workbench stuff, traps, and then on the other side is kind of an area that I've dedicated more towards fur handling. So the other side of the bench, between the bench and the wood stove, I have a shelving unit there, and there I have my uh, gloves, my rubber gloves, I have paper towels, a cleaning solution, I have plastic bags, rags, a bunch of old t-shirts and towel rags, and uh, my stretching, uh, stretching boards, fleshing beams, my uh, Necker fleshing knife, push pins, small skinning knives, flushing knives, tail strippers, and all that various fur handling stuff uh, on that shelving unit. And then what I have kind of in the middle of the room is a fold-up table. And this is just a plastic table with kind of metal frame underneath it that folds up. And that is a huge, huge advantage for a small space because I'm able to pull that thing out and I've got, it's like, I don't know, what is it, like uh, three feet by six feet probably. And I can pull that thing out and I can do a project and work on stuff there on the on the on that table. And then as soon as I get done, I can fold it up and I can put it up against the wall and it takes up almost no space. And then I can have that open space to work on other things. So that works pretty good. I've got a bunch of other plans uh, for fur handling and, and setups and stuff that I'm going to work on later on. But that's pretty much it. And then on that side that's really empty, what I've done is I've I've nailed a put a bunch of bunch of nails into the wall there. And when you get from like 4 feet up and above, I have an area where I just hang all kinds of stuff, hang traps and stretchers and wire and tools and, and everything kind of along that wall. And on the very upper foot of the the wall a foot down from the ceiling I have a kind of a foot wide shelf that goes um, probably two-thirds of the way down the long wall and then all the way across the end by the door and that's an area where I could store stuff really high out of the way and things that I don't need to get to all the time and things that are pretty small I store them up there and get them out of the way so that's kind of what I'm working with. That's that's my shed as it stands right now, and it's 
with 8x24 space. I think it's a pretty good utilization of the space. I still have enough open area when, when I need to have that. Now, the big question comes to what about when we get creative and think what kind of shed would I have if, if money were not an object? And that's kind of pretty exciting. You, you can think about a lot of different things of what you do. But I want to think about it just from a really simple perspective what I would do. And very simply, what I would do is I would basically double the size of the shed that I have now. So it's 8 by 24 my perfect fur shed would be 16 by 24 and it would be set up very similarly except you would go in from the door on the end and you walk in and you're in a 16 by 24 open area but on your left is all trapping and on your right is all fur handling that to me would be ideal everything under one roof with a stove one heat source um, uh, oh go talking about heat sources I should go back a step here um, there's a number of different things that you can do to heat your fur shed but by and far the best in my opinion is a wood stove even though there's some danger of fire obviously if you put in a wood stove you're very careful you get good stove pipe material and you take all the precautions you need to to make sure there's no fire danger there wood stove is absolutely the way to go and the, the number one reason for this is moisture if you're in a fur shed you're trying to dry out fur you cannot be adding moisture to the air um, you're, you're going to be getting a lot of moisture in the air from bringing in all those hides and skinning them and having all all that wet you know moist material in the shed but when you burn propane or kerosene um, <clears throat> if not vented properly they add a ton and ton a ton a ton of moisture into a shed I can't remember what the exact ratio was but I think I read somewhere that for every gallon of propane that you burn, like if you have a little Mr. Heater or something, like in our ice fishing shacks we, we used to use, we, we still do use all the, these propane Mr. Heaters, these buddy heaters. And it's just a propane cylinder screws into this heater and it warms up the shack. One thing you notice, the windows in the shack is always fogged up. You go to look outside to check your ice fishing traps and you always got to wipe off the fog off the windows. And what that is, is the moisture that's building up inside of the shack from the propane. I think it's for every gallon of propane you burn, you put like, uh, oh, maybe for every pound of propane you burn, you put like half a gallon or a gallon of, of moisture, of, of water vapor into the air. Um, I'm probably way off with that, but, but anyway, what, suffice to say, Burning propane like that is a surefire way to have moisture problems in your in your shed. Not only with the you know the walls and the floor and the ceiling and everything, but with your trying to get your fur dried and keep all your equipment and your traps in good order. You don't want a bunch of moisture. 
So uh, wood wood stove, I think, is the way to go. Electric heat might work for some people. Our electricity rates in the Northeast are way too high. They're just out of control, so that doesn't work here. Uh, wood pellets work very well here. We have uh, we have a lot of people that burn wood pellets in their homes, and they're very effective and pretty reasonably priced. Um, but if you're a trapper, you're an outdoorsman, you spend a lot of time probably cutting wood, and you probably have a good source of wood that's free or cheap. So you're probably better off doing that. And with a with a pellet stove, you need to have electricity to uh, run the auger and the fan to keep those pellets coming into the stove and, and burning up. So wood stove is probably the ticket. Anyway, getting back to the ideal shed. You walk in, 16 by 24. So it's like I'm looking around here at my shed that I described to you, and it would be like having two of those. And can you imagine if you had that much space, you could have, let's say, the side that's dedicated just to trapping. You could have all of your traps. Your, you could have a huge workbench area, uh, tools, trap parts. You could have a bunch of little bins with different parts for different traps. You could have all your traps organized in different areas on shelves or what, however you want to do it in boxes, cubbies, milk crates, whatever. And you could you could put all that stuff, kind of snares, everything be all kind of organized and you have plenty of room to put your your trapping lures and your trap line tools and supplies and stuff um, all throughout that. And then on the other side, that leaves room for the stuff that can be very, very uh, space consuming and that is the fur handling side of things uh, if any of you have uh, done a lot of fur handling in your shed you, you know that that can take up a lot of space for a number of reasons um, <clears throat> number one you've got pretty large animals and you need a pretty big space in order to just uh, spread things out and be able to skin and then you're gonna stretch you're gonna flush you're going to flush that pellet first. Um, if you are trapping beaver, for instance, if you trap a lot of beaver, a very good way to uh, to effectively board beaver is to have uh, these guys make these these beaver tables. And it's a large wooden table that's the size of a beaver pelt. And it has kind of a panel that that kind of drops like a plywood panel that drops down into the frame of the table and what that allows you to do is to nail down your beaver pelt on the oval pattern on that plywood uh, to get it all stretched out once you after you flushed it and then you can you can flip that over and do the same thing on the back side of that plywood and you could do all this while you're standing in a comfortable position not bent over or kneeling down um, I do mine right now uh, on the floor of the shed, kneeling down, which is fine. But the beaver table can be a real uh, back saver and a time saver, very convenient. But it does take a lot of space. You got that table sitting there, and you can't really uh, take it apart or put it away very easily when you're not using it. How about the fur tumbler? We talk a lot about uh, 
trying to get the most value for our fur and I did an episode a while back about tumbling fur uh, or drumming fur same same uh, concept and I had a question from a listener about that and we went uh, we went through it and thanks Wes for for asking that and there is a lot of benefit to my maybe a homemade fur tumbler a lot of trappers have done it but the tumbler or the drum takes up a lot of space a lot of space and you need a particular uh, an entire corner probably of the shed just dedicated to holding that uh, fur tumbler and you know the the medium that you need to use like whether it's uh, I don't know corn grit or uh, whatever else uh, people use in order to or sawdust or whatever to to tumble that fur and to clean it. So the fur the fur tumbler would take up a lot of space, and then if you have a lot of pelts, you want to be able to to spread those out and kind of uh, get them drying uh, they're on, when they're on the stretchers and that can take up a lot of space as well so if you had a lot of fur you could really uh, you could really do well with a big shed like that and there's something to be said for being able to walk around freely back and forth in in a large open space it just to me it just has a good feeling to it and it's it's nice and open and you can find things easier because they're not all piled up on each other and you can be I think be more effective uh, getting things done uh, when things aren't so cluttered. So that's the ideal fur shed. Now none of us probably are going to be able to afford it in, uh, for a very long time. Uh, some people will and uh, some people already have built a shed like that. Um, if you have ideas on what your ideal fur shed is, I'd love to hear it. Uh, that'd be great. Send me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com or send uh, put a comment up on trappingtoday.com on the post that has this podcast recording and that is about it for tonight i really appreciate you guys tuning in apologize for being a little bit late this week but i'm glad to have been able to get back and get an episode out to you thanks again to cots brothers for supporting the trapping today podcast get out there and get ready for trapping season i am Still building Martin and Fisher boxes. Uh, season's a couple weeks away. And we've got a lot to do between now and then. So very exciting. Um, looking forward to it. And take care. We will catch you on the next episode.